Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, coming to you after another really exciting round of Serie A fixtures, joined by, as ever, Kev Pugzelski. Kev, hello, how are you keeping? I'm good. Nice to see you for third time. Well, third time in seven days, yeah. Yeah, well, officially the third time, but to the listeners, it's probably the fifth, right? Because both yeah. of, there were two divisions there, but... There were probably yeah. also some uh, before midnight and after midnight. So again, probably we've seen each other most days this week. We have. It's nice. And the fact that we're recording this so early on a Sunday makes it strange that it is this week and not next. But anyway, let's not get into that. We're also joined not by Vito Doria this week. We've got Ewan Burns standing in in his place. Ewan, it's good to speak to you again. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm exhausted now after that derby. I think everyone is after this weekend. Like Kev just said, I've heard there's been about three game of the season contenders, so I'm very much done with it all now. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good weekend, but also a weekend that we will be happy to see the back of just because we can rest a little bit. Um, I should just say at the beginning, we're recording this a little bit earlier than usual just because of commitments on Kev's part, really. So Kev is the reason that we're not going to talk about Napoli Cagliari. Um, nor Venezia Torino, but we were never going to do that anyway. The the weekend's results were Spezia lost one, they lost two one to Milan. Daniel Maldini making his first Serie A start and scoring his first Serie A goal. I was there for that one, and what an experience that was. Inter Atalanta looked like it was going to be the game of the weekend. Finished two two. Then Genoa Verona finished three three, and what looked like it was going to be the game of the weekend. Juventus beat Sampdoria 3-2 on Sunday morning. Fiorentina beat Udinese 1-0. Sassuolo beat Salernitana by that same score. Empoli-Bologna had their own contender for game of the weekend and a 4-2 win for the Tuscans. And Lazio beat Roma 3-2 in, you guessed it, another cracking game. We're going to start with the Derby della Capitale because Lazio, I suppose you could say against all odds, Kev, got the job done 3-2 and they were quite impressive too. Yeah, well, we did we did say in the preview um, midweek that they were they were going into this in such a bad run of form and performing so badly that uh, they were probably going to go and nick it. But I thought it would be a a, you know, a single goal win or a sort of a a hard fought win. And um, for for the majority of the game, they looked much better of the two sides and um, certainly deserved to to race into their two goal lead. They did, and that preview we're talking about is, of course, not available to everybody, Kev, is it? It's, it's only available to our lovely patrons over on patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football, where the community is is growing quite nicely. We've had a few new subscribers over the last week. You guys obviously like the, the game weeks of Serie A that are all pushed together that we don't exactly like that much. So 
thanks for signing up. And if you've not signed up over there, do sign up for two euro, five euro, or ten euro a month. The five euro tier is by far the best value for money. But if you just want to help us out and help us continue going to games and keeping the site running, then two euro a month is is plenty. But you and you did the report for us on this one, and aside from the technical drama that you suffered through, <laughs> there was enough going on on the pitch to keep you both sweating and entertained. Yeah, it was properly, properly good game. Um, you always fear with these sorts of games that you get, you know, you look forward to it for like two weeks and then you always fear it's not going to be as good as you hope, but that really, really was. Um, like I said, Lazio did deserve to win. They were by far the better team. Um Despite being a great game, it was one of them. It, it still, it still felt like it underwhelmed slightly in the sense that it was poised for Roma to genuinely make a really good comeback or at least get to three all, and then Lazio go and score again on the counter because they were just so dangerous like that. But in the end, it just sort of fizzled out. Everyone got very noticeably tired about about the hour mark. Um, but yeah, Lazio on the counter were almost irresistible. I've, I've not seen a team be as good as that on the counter so far this season. Well, Lazio raced into that early lead. As you said, they were 2-0 up within 20 minutes. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic getting the first in. A bizarre header, Rui Patricio. If you've not seen it, go and look at it. And There's a great photo from behind the goal of when Savic gets the header ahead of him. Patricio's standing out of his goal further away than Savic and facing his own goal. It looks really bizarre, but obviously the story of the day looked like it was going to be Pedro scoring obviously having joined Lazio from Roma on a free transfer over the summer but it wasn't to be just because so much else happened but you and we were exchanging messages throughout the first half of this and you seemed pretty down on on the game as a whole at halftime you you kind of thought it was going to be written off just before Roma got that first goal yeah it, yeah Lazio were just that good that um particularly for the first 20 25 minutes Roma just never they didn't show anything it just looked like Lazio could score at will but they did so after about half an hour they finally got to grips with things Lazio sat back slightly um and then it did feel like it was a matter of time until Roma were going to score and in the end they did just before half time and it was one of them classic situations where you know they didn't want half time it was really really badly put for them um but they did pick it up again when as soon as they came straight back out but then, with how good Lazio are on the counter, they just won ball from Luis Alberto through to Immobile, who was brilliant all night, held it up, Felipe Anderson, then that was pretty much it. Roma didn't have the legs to score two more goals, let alone three. Can we talk about Immobile? Because, again, I feel the need to jump to his defence. Not that he needs it, but I need it to get it off my chest because he took a lot of slack during the summer. But what a player he is. He didn't score today, but Ewan gave him the player of the match award on, on Fourth Italian football. And Kev, he was impressive, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I kept I kept thinking, you know, can he be player of the week without without scoring? And I know he gets a lot he gets a lot of um sort of grumbling voices talk, playing for the Italian national side. But when you look at what he does does for the team, particularly with the first um the first goal that he assisted, Pedro's. You know, Ewan talked about how well Lazio were counter-attacking, but I think people ignore the fact that he's so dangerous that when he makes that run, three Roma players go with him because they're more concerned about, you know, where he's going. It leaves Pedro sort of free to, to run through. And although 
um, with the third goal, the, the pass kind of arguably made it, made it a little bit easier for Immobile to get a, a run on the defender. They were, again, everybody rushing over to, to Giro before just sort of Felipe Anderson being left free for him to roll the ball across to him. And I think particularly with the national side, they just don't want to see that he's making those runs and doing those things. Because I suppose if he doesn't assist, then they don't see the direct benefits of it. But he does he does it time after time after time. He just occupies so many of the opposition defence that that is, you know, an, another another benefit of him on the having him on the pitch. No, it's exactly right. He does just take players with him wherever he goes. But that third goal, what he did for that, I was just you saw him go through and he thought, okay, Immobile is getting his goal and he very much deserves this goal. And then he stopped and he thought, what's what's he doing? It's it's too close for him to be going towards the corner, whatever he's going to do here. But then when he just laid it off, it was remarkable. Such a selfless goal and something that if that doesn't work out, you know, the old cliched comments will be, oh, you're a striker. You've got to be greedy. You've got to shoot. But the selflessness there was brilliant. Absolutely incredible from Immobile, but not a great surprise, really. Kev, we'll talk about Pepe Reina because I know he's one of your life's loves and he made a big, big stop to deny. I can't remember who it was now, actually, to be perfectly honest with you. It was Zaniolo, wasn't it? He made a big stop on Zaniolo after having been awarded the Serie A goalkeeper of the year for last season, despite probably not having been in the top 10 goalkeepers in Serie A last season. But he deserved this. He had his moment. And now that reward seems completely justified. I, I didn't realise he got awarded that. Maybe it was a yeah. fan's vote. I don't know who it was by, but he got it. Yeah. No, loads of time for, for Pepe Reina. I, I certainly couldn't get down as quickly as he got to that. Zaniolo shot even at his age, let alone mine now. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I spoke about it briefly on one of the previous pods about the error that Strakosha made um, in the Europa League, and I think it took it took a long time for Reina to kind of become number one. I think everybody thought he was going there for, you know, if you like inverted commas, the sort of easy ride of being the backup goalkeeper, but he still does have so much to offer at his age. Um, and maybe even more so under Sari, where his distribution is so good. But if he can still pull off saves like that, you know, and we'll get onto it later, we're looking at a, a goalkeeper of a similar age in Handanovic and the mistakes he's making, um, then, yeah, he's, he's probably got a, another year or so, even maybe as number one at Lazio. How much of a boost, Ewan, do you think this is for Maurizio Sari's Lazio? Because they started like a house on fire, then stumbled a couple of times but now this you saw the celebrations after the game this is something that can really propel the entire rest of their season at least for the next couple of weeks you would expect to see them have the capability to build some momentum on this now next up they've got a trip to Bologna and then they play Inter so they're going to need to be at their best but after tonight you'd back them to be yeah they can certainly take like huge confidence from that performance because like they they were certainly deserved winners, but it's often after this sort of result, it's the next game that really really matters because a lot of teams can show up on the day in a massive game, get it right, the other team doesn't, and it can it a derby win will always be the most blown up win you're ever going to have. Basically, it's going to make everything seem completely okay, and it's not. They were still quite leaky at the back. 
But I think it's it's the next game that really matters because if, you know it's, it's all very well going to beat in Roma and the fans will take huge joy from that and it's a great thing to Sarri to do and have. But if if, if they go and draw one all in their next game against a lesser side, then it's it's like well was there actually any progress made? Did we actually learn anything from that game or not? On the other side of things, Kev, there's Mourinho and Roma. I'm sure you were delighted to see Mourinho unhappy with a, a derby loss, but how much of a setback do you think this is for them? Because they're kind of the opposite to Lazio and them that they've only just started to stumble now. They obviously had the upset last week against Elas Verona. They got back to winning ways in midweek, but now they've lost again. Yeah, I think as Ewan says, the derbies are a very sort of... Um, you know, it's a game. It's a game just on its own. It can be played in isolation. It can kind of be viewed in isolation. And maybe considering the performances in the last couple of games, even though they managed to scrape a win in their their fixture before the derby, um, the performance might have given Mourinho something to kind of take away from it and think that it um, that there's enough. There's enough there. They're showing enough fight fight for him, and just it's a you know it's a one off. Part two. We'll talk about one of the other games of the weekend in Serie A. We'll be right back. I think that now I have to win uh, something else immediately in the next uh, in the next uh, season. Otherwise, uh, they they will tell me that uh, I won only one trophy. <laughs> okay, Saturday evening's game: Inter to Atalanta two. Inter went one nil up relatively early on at the Miazza, Lautaro Martinez scoring what I would say was a, another contender for this fictional goal of the month competition that we're never going to run. But then Ruslan Malinovsky did what he does and scored a belter before Rafael Toloi completed the comeback for Atalanta. Edin Dzeko leveled in the second half and then all hell broke loose, basically, Kev. There was a penalty that Inter missed. Roberto Piccoli thought he had won it in the 87th minute for Atalanta, only for VAR to intervene after all of the celebrations had happened with the bench and the fans and the whole lot, and it was ruled out. It finished 2-2, but it's fair to say that it felt like it had finished 7-7 with the way it went. Yeah, it was constant, end-to-end, drama. I, I don't even know where to where to start really there were so many things that kind of I could dwell on there was like Handanovic performance where he sort of palmed the this the second Manlowski effort if you like into to Toloi to 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 put Atlanta 2-1 up there was his mistake trying to hook the ball out that um, allowed them to take the lead but not take the lead because of the bar review and then there's DeMarco's penalty where he scored a free kick uh, against Sampdoria the other week, and it was kind of it was hit with his instep, and I thought to myself, how has he got the power in his instep, you know, to, to and accuracy to do that? And he kind of did exactly the same thing with his penalty, but there was like, so much power, the ball seemed to take an age to sort of come back down into the box after it hit the bar. It was like everybody was there, sort of eyes to the heavens, um, waiting for the ball to drop down. But um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant game of football. There's the another great photo from whoever was on Reuters duty over the weekend where Musso celebrating the penalty save, just like staring behind his goal. But Jim Shitty's also in shot looking up 
And I think it might be Taloy in the background is also looking up there like, okay, just wait to see where this comes down. But Musso's giving it everything. It was a great shot. But yeah, absolutely madness. But you you look at this situation that Inter have with Andanovic. And we mentioned Juan Musso there, who's gone to Atalanta and is already continuing to show that he's one of, if not the best goalkeeper in Serie A having done so with Udinese previously. He moved this summer for not an awful lot of money in the, the grand scheme of things. Marco Silvestri also moved from Verona to replace Musso. But Inter are left with Handanovic, and their only alternatives are Alex Cordadz, who I think is about 38, 39, and Jonas Radu, who was on loan at Parma a couple of seasons ago and couldn't get a game there because of Luigi Seppe before Luigi Seppe actually improved as well. Why have Inter not addressed this problem? Uh, it's a really weird one, isn't it? Because it, it looks obvious. You think they should have changed it a, lot, a long time ago and they do seem to finally be doing so. There was murmurs out of the club afterwards that the decision was taken that this will be Handanovic's last year as number one, and that they're going to go all out for um, Andre Onana from Ajax, who obviously has been serving that ban, and everyone's kind of forgotten that he is around. Um, but he is, and he's very good. And I'm quite excited about the prospects of that, because from my memory of him at Ajax, he's a bit like Mike Mannion in the sense that he's a bit weird. Like He's very good, but he makes some really weird saves <laughs> and some very unorthodox ones <laughs> and just doesn't do, you know, he'll come out and head the ball every now and then, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the options there aren't good enough really to probably warrant dropping in. Mm. No, they can't drop him, but that's the problem. They've got themselves into this position where they've got a goalkeeper who's way past his prime, Kevin. They can't drop him, but... I saw, again, friend of the pod and site, Patrick Hendrick, commentator for Serie A, said that it looked as though Gasparini had just told his players to shoot on site, which if that's happening in a professional football match and not just down the park because you see that the the guy who's not usually a goalkeeper is playing in goal for the team you're against, that's damning of how far he has fallen. It's proper proper Sunday league level, isn't yeah. it? When you, know, you go, come on, lads. The goalkeeper doesn't. The goalkeeper doesn't want it. Just shoot from anywhere. It doesn't really matter. Um, they have taken a long time, really, to kind of. They they could have even done like a. I was going to call it a job share. I suppose it is a job share. Um, not that I'm one for rotating goalkeepers, but almost you know you could have brought somebody in much younger, and kind of given them uh, cup games or games here here and there, and then kept Handanovic on. But time is now maybe to cut their losses at the end of the season. And, you know, you never know. Juventus might be ditching Wojciech Szczesny, so they'll go and pick him up Ooh. and then have a different problem on their hands. That would be fun, wouldn't it? If Szczesny just did a little tour of Italy from Roma to Juve and then to, to Inter. It's just like he's just trying to annoy everybody, basically, and doing quite a good job of it at that as well, you'd, you'd imagine. But on to Atalanta, because... Again, they started the season slowly. They're starting to find their feet a little bit earlier than I had expected. I do suspect that there's another dip in form to come just because of the way they tend to start under Gasparini. But they really showed a lot here, Kevin. They can feel quite hard done by to lose or to leave with 
just a point against Inter away at the champions. And that, again, speaks volumes to how good this side is. Yeah, I saw um, Inzaghi after the game saying that, you know, Inter did enough to, you know, they deserve to win. And I thought, well, what, what game were you watching? Because I think, I thought if anybody shaded it was, it was Atalanta. And if you consider that they were away from home, they took the game to Inter, you know, they were progressive in their passing. They were determined and on the front foot when they tried to drive forward with the ball. And uh, yeah, even if they have a little dip now, if they win a next couple, um, because of the way they're picking up now of their play, I think they'll they'll be okay um, as we kind of turn around to the second half of the season. But uh, I don't know. I, I just doubt maybe they'll they'll be champions as some some of us <laughs> predicted at the uh, start of the season. Now, I think Vito was the one that predicted Atalanta to win the Scudetto. Actually, I don't know if you're trying to throw that at me, but I, I, believe I thought I joined you in predicting it myself. So uh, I, I think yeah, I think you lulled me into a false yeah, sense of security. Kev, we yeah, we did do that, but don't don't tell people again. Vito's not here. We can just say it was him. Don't worry about it. It wasn't us. No, he's too prominent on social media. I thought he'd It's true. It's true. You know, he's typing a tweet as he's listening to us say this right now. We'll I wake up. Trolls coming at me constantly. <laughs> It'll be the first thing he hears when he wakes up on Monday morning, Australian time. So by the time we all wake up, he'll have his tweet up. Um, anyway, hello, Vito. We'll, we'll speak to you next week and you can defend yourself on the pod. Ewan, is there anyone in Serie A with a better left foot? than Ruslan Malinovsky? No. It's a simple answer, I think. Right, uh, <laughs> there's, there's contenders. <laughs> um, there's... Paolo de has got a decent shout, but as I'm sure we'll come on to, he is injured again. Um, yep. Uh, but to be honest, I'm struggling beyond that, actually. I suppose DeMarco has got... I mean, we've not seen too much of it yet, but there's evidence to suggest that he's got a bit of a mad left foot as well. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think the the with the whole shoot on site thing, the amount of shots that Malinowski just pinged off at will was incredible. Which normally, when a player does that, it's deeply annoying because they very rarely go in. But for him, it was genuinely worth it every single time. Kev, you've got a contender for Serie A's best left foot. Oh no, I just said it's definitely not Bernadeschi, <laughs> but uh, the the way he plays, he, um, or you know, when he's even on the pitch. Uh, he doesn't seem to use it that much because he, he's sort of anonymous as a, as a footballer at the moment. He really why, are having a, why are you having a go at European champion Federico Bernardeschi? Oh, just because... Oddly you know, yeah, he's, <laughs> We're talking about it. Oh, for, 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 for Italy, you know, he actually did something. I was quite surprised that they got some output out of him. But um, it just feels like he's he's been there too long now and this summer he should have... He should have really took that um, European Championship win as a catalyst to say to you, look, I need to play more. You know, I want to be successful in my own right, not just kind of sit here as a bench warmer. But, you know, he would, if we maybe saw it a little bit more often, be a contender for one of the better left foots in Syria. You know, he's, he'd be great with Atalanta as well, wouldn't he? He'd just have a lovely time. Gasparini would make him. replacement. I was thinking more of... On Malinowski the... replacement when Juve <laughs> saw him and then sit him on the bench. <laughs> nah, he'd operate in that wing-back role, wouldn't he? He'd be Gosens a stand-in and he'd, he'd do a fine job. Better than Giuseppe Patella, anyway. I'd be willing to wager, but anyway. Go? Yeah, well, 
You say about the wing back as a replacement for Gosens. So I think Bernadeschi is at the front of my mind because I watched Samp versus Juve today. And he played on the left wing. And he just seemed a little bit put out that Chiesa was on the right. And actually some of the graphics that came up before the game had Chiesa on the left. So he would be cutting in and Bernadeschi on the right. So he would be cutting in. But Bernadeschi largely occupied the left-hand side and just looked disinterested with even wanting to do that kind of what we'd probably class as traditional uh, wing play, but um, yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him down to be playing uh, as as Gosen's replacement or backup in Atalanta if you want him to. Right, look, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Juve, but Kev, you've kind of forced it into the conversation, so we might as well just do it now and get it over with. They beat Sampdoria three two, and it was it's their second straight three two win, which could be an encouraging thing, but it just doesn't feel like it is with them. It could if the performance was better. It, it's the second consecutive 3-2 win that they've just edged. They started really well. Palo de Bala, there'll be something going up on the site in well, probably a couple of days. About Monday how morning. Much, in the morning, there you go. In, in about, about how much influence he probably is expected to have and probably wants to have in the wake of Ronaldo leaving. And he, and he started perfectly. He, sort of, he hit a really sort of instinctive low drive to put them uh, one then up. But then 10 minutes later... He was off with a muscle injury and tears. And you wonder, after all the absences that he had last year, whether this is another issue that's going to keep him out. But when he departed, there was really nothing from Juve other than what you would expect. Quadrado and Chiesa going up the right. Morata trying to run the channels and maybe trying to out-muscle his his marker. And they only got a second goal because of uh, Bonucci. The the one plus from, from the Juventus performance was Locatelli, who he didn't didn't only sort of screen the back four, but he also was quite progressive in his passing. More than Bentancur, I think they can ditch him now and just look for somebody to play alongside Locatelli. Um, and, you know, it was a wonderful move that actually brought their goal because he kind of scooped the ball over the defender for Chiesa. Chiesa took t- 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 too long and wasted the chance. Um, and Locatelli ended up placing the ball into an empty net. But they then go and concede two goals and they just look, <laughs> they look so poor defensively at the moment. And even though we like some of these games when you get your, your Inter-Atlanta 2-2, Juve look so unadventurous or unexciting going forward. You think if they're going to keep conceding goals like this, there'll be games where they just won't they won't be able to outscore the opposition. There is a difference between two top teams going at it and getting four goals between them, like we saw in Inter-Atlanta. <laughs> And two teams who just aren't very good at the moment, producing a lot of goals. There's a very different type of game and it can be enjoyable to watch in like a a slapstick kind of way almost. But yeah, no, I completely take the point. Look, we'll we'll talk about Juventus more on the preview pod for patrons and also next week because they are playing Torino in the Derby della Mola next Saturday, I think it is. So if you want to hear us look ahead to that, patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian football. For all of your extra Italian football content needs, it's Champions League week, so there will be a Champions League review as well, and the Serie A preview, so there's plenty going on, plenty going on, but now we're going to go into part three, I believe it is, I've lost the run of myself, and talk about another Maldini at Milan. And uh, if someone uh, um, haven't the 
the good attitude during the training session or a good behavior so in uh, in different uh, circumstances. Uh, yeah, I prefer to kill him. So AC Milan went away to Spezia and I followed them. My Not my first time in Spezia, but my first time at a game in Spezia. And i got to say, I love the Stadio Alberto Pico. It's a bit of a nightmare logistically when you when you get there because, Kev, let me tell you, right? You'll enjoy this. I got into the stadium and it was only when I got into the stadium that I found the entrance that I was directed in was on the other side of the pitch from the press box. And obviously in some stadiums, that's more of a problem than in others because as is the case in, I'd say, every single Italian ground, you cannot go from one side to the other. You can't go into the curva because there's fences and gates and, and all sorts. So I saw a photographer go out onto the pitch and the steward didn't pay much attention to him. So I just followed him and I just waved my security or my press pass and he didn't look at it. So I just walked across and I was walking behind the goal. And it was it was a lovely time. I was beneath the, the curva, behind the goal. The music was very loud. And I just thought I definitely shouldn't be here. And then I got over to the other side and I had to get past the tunnel. But I arrived at the tunnel as the Milan goalkeepers were coming out. So I had to wait for them to go by. And let me tell you, the Milan goalkeepers are massive. Like they are massive men. And you don't realize it until you're that close to them. But eventually I was let go past the, the tunnel with after a, a bit of a confusing exchange with the steward who was curious as to why I was where I was. But... I just said, I'm here, I'm here now. I'm on the side. I just need to go there. Um, and then I got up into the press box and I didn't have a desk, but I had a seat, which was nice. Um, and yeah, it was a lovely time. But the real story is that Daniel Maldini, 19 years old, and yes, you've probably guessed that by now, he is related to Paolo and Cesare. He's the third generation of Maldini at Milan. He started in Serie A for the first time. He scored the opening goal and Milan won 2-1. Kev, this story, I mean, you're probably old enough to remember Cesare playing for, for Milan as well and the beginning and end of Paolo's career. So for you, this must mean even more than it does to the rest of us. You, you nearly got a swear word out of me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, I certainly saw Paolo score the first against Liverpool in... Uh, in Istanbul in 2005. Um, oddly, uh, made me laugh when you you were mentioning that, was uh, when I was at Anfield for Milan-Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, um, chap next to me said, uh, who's that just come for Milan? I said, oh, it's uh, Maldini. And he turned to me and went, he can't still be playing, surely. <laughs> and I was like, no, he did retire a good sort of decade <laughs> decade ago. But never mind, you're clearly not, uh, you, you're not a keenest follower of Serie A as, uh, as I am. So I kind of explained that he was one of the sons that uh, were attached to Milan at some stage. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I think today the sad thing about, you know, the sad thing for me about this is that, it's nice when these sort of things pop up and kind of you, you don't know about them. So, you know, I was kind of unaware that, that Chiesa was at Fiorentina and he was obviously the son of um, Enrico. And then he scores and it's, you know, then you can go and actually... It feels like the Maldini sons that have been in and around Milan. It's kind of people have been waiting for this whole, you know, this milestone for their career and that milestone. And I don't... I think then I don't actually know how good he may well be or how close he's actually to being 
to sticking around or you know becoming a fixture in the first team because it you know it has got this famous name attached and it must be a nightmare for him as a you know trying to make his way in the game i bet he wishes he had any other name at the moment because he's not his dad in any way shape or form that completely different position he's like an attacking midfielder and you could just see how much of a a big deal it was from even before kickoff. So during the warm-up, and I did tweet this, so apologies if you follow me on Twitter, but every single Milan player made the point of talking him through the warm-up. And bear in mind, it's not his debut. He's played, what, 10, 11 times for the club before. But because everyone knew he was starting, everyone knew that every single eye was going to be on him. And... Pioli even stopped the warm-up at one point just to speak to him individually. Then Teo gave him a little cuddle after it. And players were talking to him and not talking to anyone else every time there was a break to just get a bit of water in during the warm-up. Someone would always go over to him and chat. And I just thought, that kid must be, with, with every reassuring word, he must just be growing increasingly aware of how big this day is. And then for the first 30 minutes, he stunk the place out. He was awful, and I felt so bad for him because you could see with every bad touch, you knew his next touch was going to be worse. And there was a back heel that he attempted, which was, had a senior professional done it, I reckon the coach might have tried to drag them then and there. And Paolo was sitting about probably 10 yards to my right, and he kept a really good poker face every time his, his young lad did anything wrong or good. But when he did that back heel... And it still found its way to, I think it was Salamakers, but only because Salamakers had to change his running stopper from going out of play. He made a mess of the back heel. I looked at Paolo and you could see him just, oh, he wasn't happy to see his son do that on his full Serie A debut, let me tell you. So you can be sure that he had some words for him when he got home. But after the first 30 minutes, he settled. And to his credit, even when it wasn't going his way, he was always making moves, looking for the ball, dragging players around the place. And when he had the ball, he was direct. He was aggressive in it. And he, he was always trying to play passes, whether it was to Teo, Rebic or Kalulu. He was always looking to to find a way forward. And there's definitely signs of encouragement there. He lost his head a little bit in the second half. I, I don't know after the goal if he got a bit excited, but he made a silly foul when he didn't need to. And then he was taken off, I think, about maybe, what, 10 minutes after he scored? Not too long after anyway. So a way to, to keep him in check, perhaps. But it was a lovely moment when he scored because Maldini, as I said, was right beside us. And he was keeping his emotions in check, like he was smiling and stuff. But then the the curva started singing Daniel Maldini's name. And you could just see Paolo was moved, very, very moved by it. But Ewan, I think the, the thing now for Milan, their fans, and the Italian football media as a whole. And we can already forget about this happening with the the English-speaking Italian football media because they've already lost their minds about him. But they need to just relax and not compare this guy to a superstar because that will just ruin him. Yeah, it happens a lot with... You know, play. He's not. He's not broken out as such because, like Kev said, he. You know, he's been around the setup for quite a while. Everyone's been waiting for this to happen. Um, but purely because of the name, a lot of people who don't know that 
uh, really running away with the story and being like as if he's suddenly no one realised he was there and now suddenly he's come on and scored and he's going to be the best forward that Italy's ever seen. And that's that's not how it's going to be. And if he does make a genuine success with Milan career, and he might not, and if he doesn't, that's fine. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. But if he genuinely does, then it's going to take time. You know, players don't always, you know, it happens every now and then. We've seen it. It happened in England with Rashford as always the example I use because he really did just appear and actually did sustain it. But loads of players have appeared over the years. It happens all the time. But only 5% of them actually sustain it and mm. manage to make a genuinely successful career. So if he does, that'll be fantastic. But I think a lot of people are going to potentially turn around in three or four years' time and go, oh, do you remember when Daniel Maldini scored that goal? Where, where, where's he now? Yeah. He might be at Empoli or something like that. And that'd be fine. That's still a career. He's still made a career in football, in you know, possibly top-flight football, depending on whatever Empoli are doing at that time. It, it does feel like Milan have kept him around for a couple of years that they that they maybe shouldn't, if that makes sense, that they've almost wanted to have this narrative at some point, whereas he might be a little bit further down the road, even at Milan, if, say, two seasons ago, they'd let him have a full season on loan at a Serie A club. Or, but his name's almost meant that he's had to have this sort of constant attachment until he comes through and scores this goal. And maybe... Maybe he really sort of falls flat for the rest of this season, and that does allow them now to say, "Oh, you know, we've had our, the, you know, free, free um, rows of Maldini scoring and things, and actually let him go and get the experience that he needs elsewhere." Because it does feel like he's not got enough minutes for to warrant him at that age sort of sticking around the Milan first team. I think you're right on the money there. You know, I do think there was definitely something along those lines going on at at club level. Club level, not club level, if not in Pioli's mind, because I'm sure Pioli doesn't really care about that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I do think that the best thing for him would be to to get a loan move to someone like Spezia, right? That level of, of Serie A club where he can play a little bit more and play with players that, you know... They're going to help him learn things and they will probably care a little bit less that he's a Maldini than some of the Milan players do just because they kind of have to. And I think it'll be good for him. But yeah, let's just, let's everybody just stay calm about Daniel Maldini, please. Definitely a lot of promise there, but let's not kill him. I mean, look at Mattia Destro and the countless other Italian forwards who have come to absolutely nothing compared to what they were tipped to when they first broke through in the club but we will talk a little bit more about Destro later I want to talk about Rafael Liao though because he came off the bench at halftime I can't remember who the second change was who came off the bench at halftime it was Liao and Pellegri both Rebic and Giroud went off at the break and Pellegri did very little other than throw himself around on the ground and annoy everybody but Liao was brilliant absolutely brilliant and had Maldini not scored Liao was getting my man of the match but there was this shot that he took where he had the ball on the left and it was a bit of a boga move he had the ball on the left and got to the corner of the box and just shot before anyone was expecting the shot but the the arc of the effort it seemed to go up over the Ligurian hills before it came back down and curled out of nowhere and the goalkeeper had no idea where it was going because the, the Pico is so small and so tight, you could make out all of the players' facial expressions at all times. 
And after this one hit the post, it came back to Liao and then it, it, it came to nothing. But Liao just turned around and he was smiling because he knew, I'm having a game here. And that was very early on. And he knew that he had the defenders. And from then on, every time he got the ball, Spezia panicked. And they didn't know how to live with him. And he was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So Liao and that kind of form coming off the bench is, is lethal. But there is a side to football that can't be explained with, with numbers and with visual things, but there's a feeling around this Milan team. You, I could hear the celebrations in the dressing room after that game, and you could see it on the pitch, how much they seem to really believe in one another as a group and as individuals. And you and having come close last season, you get the feeling that this might be the time that Milan end that long, long wait for a Scudetto because they seem like they are good enough this term. Yeah, I think they definitely do appear good enough because they. I don't feel surprised at all when they win. Not which sounds daft because you know, generally speaking, they've always won more than they've lost. But it just these sorts of games now. It just feels like oh, well, they they will win that. That's just the way it is. The, the only games that are worth looking at are the ones against the big teams. They feel like predictable winners now, which is a massive milestone for Milan to reach. But I think what sort of spooks me away from thinking they're the real deal and I imagine it's the same for actual Milan fans as well is that they seemed like the real deal last season for quite a long time and that will really scare a lot of fans you I imagine there'll be a lot of Milan fans thinking I'm not even thinking about that title until we get to at least April because they just look so comfortable before Christmas and you thought you just can't see how they're gonna throw this away and that's the way football goes it's such a long season somebody could come along and just be better than them but right now it looks like that team would be Napoli potentially because you know they are still ahead of them they're essentially still chasing yes I, I do need to encourage Cam with Napoli as well because between the 21st of November and the 6th of January they basically play everyone and until then they don't play anyone so I think Napoli will be quite comfortably involved in the in the title talk until Christmas but then by or by the time November comes around. But by Christmas, it, it'll probably have changed quite considerably. Um, anyway, that'll do. Part four, I think. We'll, we'll talk about all of the other games in Serie A. Jose Mourinho, you're special. Right, so we're back. We were going to start part four with Juventus, but Kev, you brought them to the table a little bit earlier than planned, so that means we don't have to talk about them now. So what we can talk about instead is Genoa 3, Verona 3. And... This is, what, the, the third consecutive mad game that Verona have been involved in since Di Francesco went. There was the 3-2, a 2-2, and now a 3-3. And again, they went 2-0 up here, and then they were losing 3-2. But then Kalinic scored again, and they drew 3-3. But there's only one thing in this game that I really want to talk about. And that is Mattia Destro's second goal in the 85th minute because it's a great goal. You watch it and you think, wow, that's very good. He got the ball, he beat a player, he chipped the goalkeeper. And then as he was running to celebrate, he seemed to throw something into the stands. But when you see that happening, you think, well, what is he throwing it? Why does he have something to throw into the stands? I didn't see him pick something up. If you watch the replay of that goal, 
for the whole thing, he's carrying a bottle of water, Kev. And I don't know <laughs> why he's carrying a bottle of water uh, or how he's managed to score a goal like that while carrying a bottle of water. Yeah, first thing to say that the, the goal's a wonderful solo effort. I suppose he did score about two or three minutes earlier. So maybe in the post post equaliser uh, celebration, somebody would handed him a bottle of water to kind of uh, replenish himself with. He's not going to have been carrying it for five him. minutes though, is he? That's far well, too long, surely. He scores. Hey, I reckon he probably had it from two or three for two or three minutes tops, really, from from when the game kicked off again, and probably just okay. kept hold of it. Quite possibly. Have you ever seen this before? A player scoring oh, with them. I would have quite liked the referee to rule it out for VAR because it's one of the fast cool things that VAR probably would have done these days. Um, a bit like the penalty that that Verona got awarded actually for you know having his little toe trod on. But um, but yeah, no, it, that would have made. That, well, it wouldn't have surprised me. It certainly would have made uh, headlines if the goal mm. had been ruled out because he was carrying a water bottle. I've, I've got a vague, I've got a vague recollection of Ray Houghton being booked against Italy in the nineteen ninety four World Cup because he was carrying a bag of water. Because although the heat in the US meant that the players were getting dehydrated ridiculously quickly, FIFA was still adamant that players you know couldn't take on water while the game was playing and for some reason the americans have decided to give water bags out so there's a i'll try and dig one out but there must be a picture of ray houghton carrying this water this bag of water in the 94 world cup fair enough when you said bag of water i had no idea what you were talking about to be honest but you see that here in the summer months particularly during the the pandemic football last year um but Players were just getting thrown little things where they'd they're clearly just full of sugar or something and they'd knock them back and then just leave them on the pitch. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was an odd one. I have to say, when he scored, he didn't drink the water. He just threw it into the, the Gradinata. I don't know if it's Nord or Sud. Sorry, any Genoa fans listening. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a bad idea. That's the worst place to throw it. Everyone's jumping around celebrating. And you've thrown a bottle of water with a lid on into the big group of fans. Someone definitely got that in the head, um, which wasn't great. But anyway, what can you do? And it's certainly a book of all offense, I reckon. Absolutely. Absolutely right it is. In the other games... I was at Sassuolo Salernitana. Sassuolo won 1-0 this evening. No, this afternoon, rather. It was a Domenico Berardi goal that sealed it. But Jeremy Boga was excellent to set it up. And he, he had been quite good in the first half as well as Sassuolo grew into the game. But Salernitana... Now, I'm not sure if there's a reason for this. I just don't know. But they didn't start with Simi or Bonazzoli. And both changed things quite dramatically when they came on. Bonazzoli in particular nearly scored a lovely backheeled effort. He beat Consiglio, and I think it was Rogerio or Mulder. No, it was Rogerio got back and cleared it off the line. But big win for Sassuolo. They're still not quite their Roberto de Zerbi selves. They, they look a little bit more, I suppose, awkward is the word. They're not as fluid in attack as they used to be. And there's a lot more pointing from Maxime Lopez telling people where they're supposed to be. Whereas last season, it was just... Everybody knew where they were supposed to be. So I do think that under Alessio Dionisi, they will be okay. And they'll probably be comfortably top half. But it's, it just might take a few more weeks 
for them to get to that point. Good to see them win. A shame for Salernitana that they are still waiting for their first win of the season. And the longer they go without getting it, the the squeakier their bottoms are going to get, you'd imagine. Um, in Udine, Ewan, if you're there, Fiorentina beat Udinese 1-0. And there's no surprise about the goal scorer here. It was a Dusan Vlaovic penalty in the first half. Yeah, I'm getting quite excited for... Um... I know a lot of Liverpool fans who are keeping a bit of an eye on Blavich because they're convinced that they're going to sign him. And I'm waiting for them to start whacking about terms like penalty merchant and stuff because that does seem to be all he's scoring this season. But I'm sure the, the actual fun goals will, will come back. But I think the, the refreshing thing about Fiorentina this season is that's the exact sort of game that you'd expect them to somehow cock up and give away four penalties and lose despite being the better team for most of the game whereas now they actually are just winning those sorts of games they're picking up the points they're supposed to pick up and still putting in good performances against bigger teams as well you know they were relatively unlucky against Inter that they didn't get something out of that game they just ran out of steam and didn't take the chances when they had them but there's it's clear they've got they've got a blueprint that can beat good teams and they seem to be calmly dispatching of teams that were around them last year and hopefully for them this time they won't be around them Kev Empoli beat Bologna 4-2 in just another one of those uh, uh, what we could call average Serie A matches now at this point Bonifazzi scored an own goal within a minute and Muzabaro scored for Bologna so did Arnautovic Bologna hit the woodwork I think you were keeping count I wasn't I was that the, the map A for this. Um, but then Ampoli kind of just took care of business quite nicely. A 4-2 win over Bologna and pressure's probably on Mijalovic now. Yeah, it, it could so easily have gone the other way because, you know, Barrow struck the bar early on with a wonderful effort. The game did kind of swing either way and then there were, I think from Empoli going 3-2 up, there, Arnautovic hit the crossbar either side of him actually scoring. And again, we're still waiting for Arnautovic to blow up a little bit in Bologna. <laughs> you thought, if anything, it's going to be it's going to be him sort of hitting a post a few times and then going and kicking an advertising hoard yeah. like getting himself sent off. And then, um, you know, in the 90th minute, they they score a they score a game a goal to kind of put the game out of reach of uh, Bologna. But you know, it could have been three three before then. It could have been anybody's game. It's, and because it kind of went to and fro for the entire 90 minutes, as opposed to Verona. Um, versus Genoa, which kind of escalated in the second period, um, was kind of how I sort of mentioned it as one of my games of the season uh, so far, certainly. I think you're going to have to create a few new spreadsheets, Kev, because last week you were talking about the goals of the season so far, and now you're on about the games of the season so far. So I'd I mark them your... down. I mark them down. They're down with an asterisk, so I can refer to them in, in seven months' time. When we compile the big spreadsheet with all of the recommendations for Absolutely. the... Absolutely. <laughs> At my age, I haven't got the memory for it anymore, so I have to, I have to, make, I have to make lists as and when I'm thinking about it. Man. What, what I do for when we... So just to let people behind the curtain, there's a big spreadsheet at the end of the season where we go and fill in our nominations for game of the season goal of the season signing of the season everything of the season 
when it comes to games and goals, what I do is I'll think back to the games I was at. And if I can remember a goal from that game or the game itself as being good enough, I'll mark it down. And then I'll just wait a few days and see what everyone else says. And then I'll say, oh, yeah, I remember this one. I don't remember this one. And if I remember them, I'll put them in as my nominations as well. Um, and then it goes to the to the readers of the website to decide on the winner anyway. So anyway, there you go. I think that's all of the games, isn't it? It is all of the games. Napoli are currently just about to go in 1-0 up over Cagliari at halftime. Victor Ozzyman obviously got the goal there. And then Venezia host Torino on Monday evening. But we won't be speaking about that, obviously, because this pod will long be out by then. Remember, lovely listeners, head to patreon.com slash Football, And you will be able to listen to the podcast's release a little earlier than you will if you get it anywhere else because I basically edit it and post it straight on there and then it takes quite a while longer to go up on Spotify, Acasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Um, Patreon is first and it will be available publicly on Patreon too, the regular pod. But there's so much more of the content available for just €5 a month. We're doing three things a week exclusively to Patreon. The Serie A newsletter is going out on every Tuesday. Then we have Champions League review pods on European weeks and Serie A preview pods every single week when there's no Champions League action or Serie A midweek action or international action. Don't worry, because we'll have bonus podcasts there as well. We've got a few things lined up, a few. There's one really exciting interview that we've got lined up and I'm looking forward to that getting done. So let's hope it it comes through and the first non- Serie A or Champions League midweek we'll we'll have that for you so hopefully next week but we'll see how things go but yeah there are two euro tiers five euro tiers and ten euro tiers the two euro tier is basically just to support the website keep us going to games keep the website running five euro tier you get all of that extra content and then for the ten euro tier you also get all of that extra content and then some some extra merch as well which you'll also get some merch on the five euro tier so so head over to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football and and check it out. Anyway, that'll do us for this week. Kev, thank you very much. I understand you've got an early flight. Pleasure. Early flight to Porto's. Thank you for the early recording. You're very welcome. Um, sorry, listeners, if we didn't talk about Napoli, but it's Kev's fault, okay? So blame the Champions League for that and the appeal of Portugal. But Kev, enjoy your trip. Ewan, thank you for, for coming on and then leaving and then coming back on in, in the pod tonight. <laughs> it's been good to have you on the on the pod proper. Yeah, thank you. I'm not doing anything else this evening because I've been battered by technology. So I'm going to go to bed and pretend that none of it exists. Excellent. Good idea. All right, listeners, we'll speak to you again next week for those of you who aren't on Patreon, but we'll speak to the rest of you, or the patrons, on Wednesday night and Friday morning. Goodbye. Nel cielo bianco azzurro brilla una stella che in tutto il firmamento è sempre la più bella ed ogni volta che rintocca il campanone ho voglia di cantare questa canzone la nazio sul prato verde vola la nazio tu non sarai mai sola Un'aquila nel cielo, 
sempre volerà Insieme a te Aquilotto noi voliamo via La domenica sempre ci fai compagnia Con le bandiere al vento e un tuffo in fondo al cuore Sono brividi forti e voglia di gridare Perché il coro che famo tutti quanti insieme Dice Lazio sei grande te Verde, verde, verde.